Donka Shane, Donka Shane, welcome to Parkview. We're glad you're here. You know, the weird thing is, Matthew Broderick was 23 when he played that part. He's exactly my age. That's how old this movie is. It's crazy, isn't it? If you're visiting, let me, let me explain what we're doing. We're using movies in the month of August, kind of like Jesus did. Jesus almost always told a story. He didn't just like get up and teach. He told a story. And he used illustrations that people knew from, from his day. And so that's what we're doing during At The Movies. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. We get the, we get the Martian. Next week is Ghostbusters. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Just a, a lot of fun. Good, good easy way to um, you know, talk about the paranormal. So, um, and I just want to warn you right up front. I am a little bit fired up by this. I'm not a yelling preacher normally. I mean, you, you know that. I like to help people, not yell at them unless they're in the left lane on the highway. I, I'm, you know, that's usually my own problem. The reason I'm fired up by this sermon is because, first of all, it's a movie I love. And, and when this movie came out, I wasn't a Chicago guy, so I didn't even know, you know, how, how important it is to Chicago. But also as I've processed this movie with culture and uh, with Christianity in general, I've realized something, and it's this. Christianity has been hijacked by Ben Stein and Mr. Rooney. Christianity has been hijacked by the boring and the negative. And Jesus said, I've come to bring you life to the full. He wants to bring us life to the full, but, but we've, we've surrounded ourselves with people that make it boring and negative, and I don't understand it. I've used this picture before, but it's kind of a theme for me. This is a picture that somebody shot in Germany during Oktoberfest one year. And, and it just, to me, it was just striking, the, the, the idea of, you know, A or B. Here are your choices, A or B. Here's A, you can have fun, you can enjoy yourself, go hang out with your family, or B, you can have boring, right? You can have, you can have the steeple. And I know I'm making more out of it than I ought to, but it feels like we've made it boring and negative. Let, let's start with the boring part. Somewhere along the way, we turned Christianity into this. I saw an interview with Ben Stein recently. At, he's a Stanford-educated economist, very smart man. Um, he said, I know on my tombstone they're just going to put Bueller, Bueller. That's all I was going to say. That's what he's known for, right? I think this movie illustrates the problem with religion, okay? Our Father in Heaven is not supposed to be our boring teacher in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven is not supposed to be our principal up in Heaven. He's not waiting for us to screw up so He can hold us back another year. And Jesus addressed it in our theme story for Parkview. I mean, our theme story is the story of the prodigal son, and, and it's such a, a key thing for us. I figured out that, you know what, the prodigal son and Ferris Bueller kind of go together. So that's what we're doing today. I'm, I'm going to make, I'm going to do a little mashup. And, and the prodigal son, it, Charles Dickens called it the greatest short story ever written. I mean, so it's, it's really that important. I think it's Jesus's best story. May feel familiar to you, doesn't matter to me. I heard this week that, you know, that old, that, that video, Gangnam Style? that was so obnoxious, you know that one? It's still downloaded three million times a day. Who, who is that? Please don't let it be any of you. <laughs> if it's familiar, it's okay, here we go. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus? Oh, he's very popular, Ed. He's popular with the sportos, the motorheads, the geeks, the bloods, the wasteoids, the dweebies. They think he's a righteous dude. Why? 
Why did Jesus attract the dweebies? Well, I can tell you why. Because of this word right here. I mean, that was an accusation they made against him, but it's absolutely true. He made the dweebies feel welcome, and the sportos, and the motorheads, and so do we. That's what we're we're doing. We want that to happen. And I hope if you're visiting that you'll come back and stay because we think we all ought to be like this. We all ought to be having fun together. And here's the problem. I know that... I know that the world is looking for a relationship with God. You may be here, you may be listening to me and going, I'm not, listen, I'm not looking for a relationship with God. Deep down inside, there's probably something, if you're honest with yourself, that would say, I'm looking for God. And the world is looking for God in so many ways. They find him in weird places, like the frying pan Jesus. <laughs> Australian cook found this when he was whipping up some Lemon cream sauce. How about this one? The banana Jesus. I mean, we're looking for Jesus. We see him everywhere. The toast Jesus. Yeah, that's, that, that's pretty normal, right? How about this one? The tortilla Jesus. you got to admit, it looks a little bit like Jesus in there. People are looking for him so much, there are pictures of him on the Internet like this, like the Kit Kat Jesus. you got to look really hard to find the Kit Kat Jesus in there, don't you? The uh, chicken breast Jesus, okay, maybe. The pierogi Jesus makes some of you feel, you know, a little bit better about life. This one's not Jesus. I just thought it was funny. It's the Mother Teresa cinnamon bun. It's the nun bun. Come on, stay with me, all right? The shower mold Jesus. Wait, 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 it gets better. This guy sold that piece of drywall, I'm not making this up, on eBay for $2,000. Tell me people aren't looking for Jesus. I mean, everywhere, and this is my favorite, the Cheeto Jesus. It's Jesus. I don't care what you say, that's funny right there. The, the problem is that people want Jesus. They want God. That's not the deal, right? That the deal is we've gotten in the way. The church has gotten in the way. The big steeple thing has gotten in the way. When you read the book of Acts, you know, what you find is a whole bunch of people who loved hanging out together, who loved getting together. It wasn't a choice between the swing ride or, or the organ music at St. Paul's Basilica. It was, no, let's do church and fun together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And what would happen then? Well, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because people want God, they want Jesus, they want community. All we got to do is provide it to them. You know what the religious people were saying about the early church? Well, any church that's growing like that has to be watering down the gospel. I mean, how could that many people want to be happy and be a part uh, of community together, be a church? I mean, there must be drinking Kool-Aid somewhere. This just doesn't make any sense. Because the gospel, I mean, what's the gospel? Bad news, right? No, the gospel's not. The gospel's good news. Don't people gather for good news? Isn't the gospel the best news you could ever hear? I was, once was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You can be saved. I've got to ask you a question. Do you think the people who are rescuing the, 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 the wreck of the Titanic, people, plucking people out of the icy waters of the North Atlantic, do you think that they were surprised that everybody wanted in the lifeboat? Like, oh, all these people went in here? Oh, you're kidding me. No, of course they did. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants God. Everybody wants to have a relationship with their Heavenly Father. The problem is we've gotten in the way. Christianity has gotten in the way. The church, the church has gotten in the way. Because 
Because anytime there are people having fun, there's going to be someone who wants to stop it. Right? Like this, this guy. <laughs> Poor George. They, they, they criticized John the Baptist. The religious leader, here's the, here's the fascinating thing. This is why Jesus' parable relates to Ferris Bueller, because the problem is as old as time. It, it's always been this way. When Jesus was here, there were religious people who were making it hard to get to God. And they were criticizing John the Baptist because John the Baptist was living out in the wilderness all by himself eating bugs, not drinking, not, you know, eating normal food. And then Jesus comes along and he's eating and drinking and, you know, going to parties with, with, the, with the dweebies and the motorheads. And, and they're complaining about everybody. And finally, Jesus, this is a really important scripture, Matthew eleven eighteen. Jesus says, for John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. He's crazy. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, well, here's a glutton and a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, wisdom's proved right by her actions. Look, look at what we're doing. Look, look what's happening here, and, and then you can criticize it if you want. But Jesus is saying, look, there's a time to mourn and, and to fast and all of that, and there's a time to party. Any friend knows that, right? They're saying he is a friend of sinners, right? He's a friend. That's what friends do. Sometimes you party, sometimes you mourn, sometimes you're isolated, but you hang out together. But, but all the time you have somebody in your life that cares about you. And, and, and I was talking with a Christian friend about this one time. And they were convinced that these sinner parties that Jesus went to were, were things like Matthew's house. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a dweeby, okay? And he had a party with all these other tax collectors. And Jesus was there. That's all the Bible tells us is Jesus was there. This person told me that, that they thought that Jesus just went to those parties, showed up, said, hi, guys, follow me, and then left again. Which is honestly what I believe for a long time, too. But it's not true. Why would the Pharisees criticize him if he wasn't actually at the party, if he wasn't actually hanging out, if he wasn't actually a friend of the sinners? Jesus was at parties all the time. He was at parties with sinners all the time. Jesus just admitted to us in Scripture that he drank wine at the parties with the sinners all the time. And the joy killers in Jesus' story, they were the ones who represented the authority, okay, back in that day. There's always somebody who represents the authority. They're the joy killers of, of, of whatever's going on. And they think that their way is the right way and everybody else is wrong. And so you need to fall in line with them. Enter Mr. Rooney. It's, it's not easy to be a teacher. You guys are getting ready to head back to school, be a principal. I mean, I know you, I spent a few moments in the principal's office on the other side of this, okay? I understand what it's like. I understand how that's supposed to happen. The problem with the Pharisees is they really believed that the only way to follow God was to not have any fun. And they really believed that their job was to keep the geeks and the wasteoids and the dweebies and the sportos away from the kingdom of God. They didn't want it to get watered down. I spent plenty of time with those people as well. My brother-in-law is here in the audience today. He's one of those guys that keeps me on track. And we were in Bible college together. And it was, it was Mr. Rooney College, I promise you. 
I mean, I mean, there were so many of our leaders in that day, so many of the people in, in our college that were trying to keep their thumb on everything, make sure nobody has any fun. Our dorm mom, I mean, that's, that's who she was. She walked in on my brother-in-law one day, and he was playing cards. And she said, I mean, this is what happens with legalism. She said, Doug, what, 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 would, what would happen if your mom knew you were playing cards? And Doug's a little sarcastic. He said, she'd want to know what the score was. And when she could get in, because she taught me how to play cards. But that's how it goes. You know that our Bible college had a rule back in the 40s that women couldn't wear polka dots. Do you know this? Do you know why they couldn't wear polka dots? I'm not making this up. It's because it might encourage the boys to poke the dots. We, we were not allowed to wear facial hair at my Bible college. And ever since, like one week before graduation, I have had some form of facial hair. And I always will. If you see me in the casket and there's not facial hair on there, draw something on there because I'm going to stick it to the man for the rest of my life. That's what that does to us. It breeds that thing in us that says, well, wait a minute, I want to I have a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to just follow the rules. So to the Mr. Roonies of the world, Jesus told this story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country, who sent him to feed the pigs. Remember, he's a Jew, so this is the worst that could happen. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, here's my speech, dad. I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, put on the best robe and put it on his feet and on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and now he is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. This is a story that Jesus told to the Mr. Roonies of the day who were complaining about the fact that he was hanging out with the dweebies and the sportos and the motorheads. You understand that? This is, this is the story that he's saying, look, you guys, yeah, I take a day off with Ferris every once in a while, and Cameron, yeah, I do, I go hang out with those people, not in sin, I'm not doing anything wrong, but I go hang out because I want to be a friend to them, and I want to welcome them, okay? And Jesus says, this is how it is, you guys, you need to understand this, Mr. Rooney, if the dweebies run away and they want to come back, God's going to welcome them home, whether you do or not, God's going to welcome them home. And that's why I welcome them, and that's why my church should welcome them. But that's not really the point of the story. I love that part of the story. We all do, because we've all been prodigals at some point, one way or the other. But in order to full, further illustrate what the story really is about, Jesus goes on. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. The older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing 
And so he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. I'm, ex- I'm, I'm expecting the servant to be excited. Your brother's come home and your father's killed a fatty calf because he has him back safe and sound. But Mr. Rooney became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him and he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You killed a fatted calf for him. Enter Ferris's sister, Jeannie, with a strangely prophetic cameo appearance by Charlie Sheen. Here's what I want you to know. Ferris and Jeannie come from the same family. And neither one of them really get it. Ferris has enough prodigal son in him. He's lying. He's taken nine sick days out of school because he doesn't really understand what the good life ought to be about. I mean, if he gets caught, he has to spend another year in school. And for Ferris to spend another year in school would be like this guy feeding pigs, this Jewish guy feeding pigs. It would be the worst thing that could possibly happen because it would backfire on him. But Jeannie has the, the same father as well, and she doesn't understand it either. She's bought into the system completely. She's just mad at her brother because he's having fun, and she's not. Older brother, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You didn't even give me a goat, young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Okay? Do, do you see a couple of things that, that really jump out at you? Okay, this, this should be it. Slaving. Well, why is he, why is Jeannie slaving in this house? Never celebrating. Why, why never celebrating? Why is that? Because this is my definition of religion. This is what I think the problem is. Slaving and party-less. That's it. That's what it is. That's why that picture of, of, of the swing and the church steeple are so pronounced to me. You see the problem? How, what, what's the older brother doing? He's in church wishing he could be out on the swing, and he doesn't understand that those two things ought to be able to go together. How does the older brother know the younger brother's been with prostitutes? You ever ask yourself that question? He hasn't talked to him yet. I mean, there's no Facebook, there's no selfies, you know, of younger brother out with the party girls. It sounds like the older brother's a little, anyone, jealous of his younger brother. The older brother's assuming the younger brother's out with party girls having fun, and he doesn't get to do it. And here's the huge disconnect. The, the, the older brother doesn't realize that home with the father is the best place to be. Ferris, the the prodigal, didn't realize that home with the father was the best place to be because honestly, it is. And, And the younger brother knows that now. That's why he came home. This is what has me all fired up. I'm a dad. I'm a grandfather, okay? And my family all live away in other states. And and, and when they get together, it's not very often. So when I have them together like I do this weekend, because we're doing this wedding reception thing today, I I feel the same way. I I want them to feel glad about being home. I don't want to be like, oh, crud, we got to go back to, you know, mom and dad's house and spend time. I don't want it to be like that. I want them to be glad to be here. Even when they lived in our house, I wanted home to be a place that they would always want to come home to. 
I mean, how horrible would it be if one or more of my children thought that being home was supposed to be about being quiet and reverent and boring and slaving and party-less? I mean, that, that, that would be horrible. And now that they're gone, they understand home. I mean, it doesn't matter where we are. It's about home, being together. And that's what God wants you to understand is that being with him is the best place. Now, now listen, some of you, the problem that you have may not be Mr. Rooney. It may be your own family. If you came from a dysfunctional family, you had one or more of your parents who there was something wrong. And, and for those of you, we have Cameron. There are always some deep family thoughts in every John Hughes movie. I love that about him. Some of you, maybe many of you, grew up in a home where there was wealth or poverty or alcohol or mental illness or whatever, and it caused you to grow up in a home that was literally slaving and partyless. And, and the problem for you is that if that's your translation of the Father, why would you bother? I understand that. And if church is just another place where you have to follow the rules and stay quiet so you don't wake up your angry father, who needs it? And I would agree with you. And what I'm telling you is that I think the number one thing that breaks the heart of God is the fact that so many of his children are living with the wrong idea of who he is. Either God is the father that you have to hide from and run from like Ferris... You know, he's hiding from his dad at the restaurant and in the cab and, and running down the street trying not to get caught because you think that fun and your dad can't go together. Or you have a, a God image that's like Genie and you think God is just unfair. How come these things didn't work out for you? Or most sadly, your God is like Cameron's God and you just don't think he's interested in you. And none of those are right. And the problem I see that I feel responsible for is the fact that God can't do much about his image as a father because of all the Mr. Roonies of Christianity. That's why Jesus was hard on the Pharisees. Jesus said, woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You, listen to this, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You can't get in. You yourselves don't enter. You won't even let those who are trying to get in. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Those are the words of Jesus. Children of hell, that's what you're creating with the Mr. Rooney version of Christianity. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's why I know that I love God. Here's why I know that I love God the Father. I love that scene where the father runs to his son and says, it doesn't matter what you've done, you're welcome home. I love that. But what proves to me who God is is that the father in Jesus' story, the father still also loves the older brother. And that's the one I have the most trouble with. My son, the father said, you are always with me. I don't know how you misunderstood who I am. Everything I have is yours. 
I don't know why you're slaving and partyless. Everything I have is yours. But do not forget this one thing. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So don't forget that that's the priority. And Parkview, please don't forget that the priority for us are the dweebies and the mortarheads and the sportos, okay? They're, They're the ones that are out there on the outside of religion. They're our priority. But also don't forget what happens a lot of times is that we are prodigals and we come into the church and then after a while in the church we just naturally start to become the older brother we just naturally start to want everybody to do things the way that we do them did you know that there's such a thing as a square watermelon may seem like a weird segue but stay with me square watermelon they make them in china where there are a lot of people and not much refrigerator space Seems like a good idea, doesn't it? I mean, you put a, put, a, you know, put a watermelon in the fridge and there's no room for anything else. So they made square watermelons. How do you make? You might say, how do you make a square watermelon, PT? Well, it's pretty simple. They have these molds and they put the seed, you know, they, they put the plant to grow in there. Once the thing starts to grow, they make it go into this little square mold. And as the watermelon grows, it grows into a square. Do you, see, do you see where I'm at with this? That's Christianity. That's what's been happening to Christianity even since Jesus' day. The Pharisees were like, this is our mold, and we want everybody to fit in our mold. And then all through church history and today, and it's easy for us all to fall into it, it's here's our square mold. However you believe about these different things, this is our mold. And if you want to come and be a part of us, you have to make sure that you grow up and look like this. And I'm here to tell you, That's absolutely wrong. And it's getting in the way of God having a relationship with his kids. And that's why we have to stand against it. It happened to the Apostle Paul just a few years after Jesus was gone. Do you know what what square Christianity looked like in, in, in the epistles later on in the New Testament? It looked like the Jewish Christians wanting the, the Gentile Christians to get circumcised before they became Christians. They, they wanted them to become basically Jews before they became Christians. Okay? Not a great evangelism strategy for the men. Can I get you? Okay? And, and so Paul comes along. Later on, and you know what he says about them? He says, watch out for those dogs. He calls them dogs, not like nice term. Like, these are bad people. Mr. Rooney, they're bad people because they're trying to make you fit into their little square watermelon mold. He goes on in Galatians and he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's all. Faith and love, that's all that matters. And you think I'm fired up? You think Jesus is fired up? Paul says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I'm not making that up. That's in the Bible. I gave you Song of Solomon last week. You got emasculate in the Bible. We're talking Lorena Bobbitt right there. It's in the Bible, Galatians 5. Tell me it's not interesting. That's how fired up he is. Yeah, he just said that. But he called them dogs. He said, I, get, get them out of the way. Jesus said, no, stop getting in the way of God. The Father wants to have a relationship with his people. They don't have to look like a square. Steve Brown said, 
The good news is that Christ frees us from the need to obnoxiously focus on our goodness, our commitment, or our correctness. Religion has made us obsessive, almost beyond endurance. Jesus invites us to a dance, but we've turned it into a march of soldiers, always checking to see if we're doing it right and are in step and in line with all the other soldiers. We know a dance would be more fun, but we, listen to this, we, we know a dance would be more fun, but we believe we must go through hell to get to heaven, so we keep marching. Stephen Brown says, I think you ought to live your life with such freedom and joy that uptown, uptown Christians will doubt your salvation. I agree. My Uncle Ray passed away two days ago. Oh, my mom's brother, he's 94 years old. World War II uh, veteran. This is obviously not really Life Magazine. They just did that for their 70th anniversary. He and my aunt were married for 74 years. Veteran of World War II or veteran of 74 years of marriage. I don't know which is more impressive, but (laughs) he was an inspiration to me. And he had a foxhole experience in World War II. He was in the Philippines when um, fighting was pretty bad and one day, his CO came to the, to the unit and said, listen, you guys, um, tomorrow they're shipping us in, and um, I'm guessing that most of you aren't going to come out. So if you're not right with God, you better get right with God tonight. So my Uncle Ray was right with God. <clears throat> he was a Christian, but, you know, you imagine having that conversation? He went back to the barracks, and he, and he said, I prayed that night. I prayed all night. And Lord... I mean, he had a a wife at home. Lord, if you get me out of this, I promise I will serve you, right? That's what 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 we're always going to say. Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I'll serve you. Well, the next day, they dropped the bomb. 71st anniversary was yesterday. So literally, this whole thing was going on this week back, you know, 71 years ago in a barracks when when Ray was having this conversation with God. And, And so he got released from the war came back to Arkansas where he lived and decided that serving God meant going into ministry because that's what you would think, right? That's, that's the square watermelon mold. It'd be like, I'm going to go into ministry. I'm going to go to the mission field or whatever. That I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. And he started training for ministry. And along the way, somebody got a hold of him and said, hey, Ray, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe you're not necessarily supposed to do ministry? Maybe you're just supposed to be who you are and be successful at it and support ministry. And so he did. He uh, stopped training for ministry and he became a real estate agent and um, made a lot of money and helped a lot of people find their way back to Jesus, probably more than he could have if he would have gone into ministry in the first place because he supported his little brother who became a pastor, a megachurch pastor, and one of my inspirations, he supported my mom and dad as they were going through college. He supported the college. He's a huge supporter of mine and cousins and a lot of other people along the way. And I tell you that story because I think sometimes we, it's, again, that square mold thing. It's like if God's up in heaven and he's looking at me, he wants me, you know, he wants me to just be thinking about, about all those people out there and finding the lost people all the time and making maybe serving him and maybe going to the mission field or whatever. And I'm telling you that I think God's looking down from heaven going, hey, I definitely left you there for that mission. You know that. But I also just want you to have some fun. 
I also just want you to enjoy life because here's the problem. The sportos and the motorheads and the dweebies, they're not going to relate to me. They're going to relate to you. They're going to relate to the people who live. That's your mission. That's where you're supposed to be. So don't go living your life like Mr. Rooney because that's not going to attract anybody to Jesus. It's going to keep everybody away. So we're going to close with a country song. I promise I didn't pick it. And... Um, <clears throat> It's really, it's really a good one. It's live like you were dying. Just a, a great way to think. I mean, it's kind of the Ferris Bueller theme, right? <clears throat> I mean, he was his senior year. He was almost done. He wanted to have that day. It's not a question of what we're, what we're going to do. It's a question of what we're not going to do. I mean, that, that, that's it. I mean, let's, let's just enjoy life. Because I think that's what the Father is looking down at us, telling us to do. It's to lighten up, break the mold, and live like you were dying.